It's good to be with you tonight and to share in your meeting. Uh, I want you to turn, please, to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And we read just a few verses at the beginning of this chapter. Romans chapter 1. Beginning at verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom also ye also uh, are the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may part unto you some spiritual gift to the end that you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even amongst other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Amen. And may God bless to our hearts tonight this word uh, from Romans chapter 1. There's a couple or three other verses I just want to leave with you. You didn't turn to them. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 2. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. I refer to these texts in a moment or two. Philippians 3.10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. And then Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And we pray that God will bless these scriptures to our hearts also. Let's have a little prayer before I bring my testimony to you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence in this building already. Thank you for the ministry of song that we've listened to. And we thank you tonight for the one who is the center and theme of all that we think and all that we do, the one called Jesus, the one who left the splendor of heaven, knowing his destiny 
was the lonely hill of Golgotha, there to lay down his life for me. We thank you, Lord, for the one who held nothing back, the one who was forsaken by the Father. The Father turned his face away. And Father, we thank you that he did it all for me, all for me, all for me. Jesus in love did that for me. Father, bless us tonight. And as we seek to testify to the grace of God and seek, Lord, to encourage others, we pray that you will help us and enable us. And may we know the anointing of God. May we know, Lord, the utterance of God. And we pray that what is said tonight may be in the will and plan and purpose of Almighty God. And we pray this in his name and for his sake and for his glory. Amen. Now, I was asked to give a personal word of testimony here tonight, and I want to assure you at the beginning that I have never been a gangster or a murderer or a terrorist or anything like that. I've never robbed a bank, and therefore maybe my testimony doesn't sound very exciting, but it's a testimony. And you know, I will be 83 on my birthday, and I want to tell you this. God has been a faithful God to me. He's been more than faithful. And he's given me things that I didn't deserve. And I praise God tonight for all that he means to me throughout all these years. I hadn't a very great start in life. I, uh, my father had gone to Scotland to work, and uh, I was born in Scotland. And we weren't long there until the Second World War broke out. And there was conscription in Scotland, and my father was conscripted. And he joined the Argyle and Southern Highlanders and went off to fight in the Second World War. When that happened, the war was continuing and it looked as if it was going to go on for a while. So my mother came back to Ireland and I was reared here in Ireland. We lived with my grandparents out in the heart of the country outside Ballymena. And one day a little boy turned up at our door riding a bicycle and he was wearing a little pillbox hat. And some of you may be old enough to remember them, but he was a telegram boy. He was bringing a telegram to my mother, and I have here in my hand tonight that telegram. And this is what it says. It is my painful duty to inform you that a report has been received from the War Office notifying the death of Samuel Shaw, Argyle and Southern Highlanders, while serving with the Central Mediterranean Force on the 15th of May, 1944, and then simply killed in action. Now, I, won't, I don't know whether you can picture this or not. A mother with a little boy, I was just three. My brother Desmond was two. And there she is standing on the doorstep of a home in the heart of the country. And that little boy, that telegram boy, waited for a moment to see if she had anything to return. She had nothing. He jumped in his bike and rode back into Ballymena and left her standing there. Friend, that wasn't a very wonderful beginning, was it? Left with two little boys. Left with two little boys. And I have to say, they weren't very kind financially to war widows in those early days. They treated them much better later on. But my mother was left there with us. While I never remember my father... I thank God tonight for a good mother. It was from my mother that I first heard I needed to be saved. She would read and pray with my brother and myself every night before we went to, to sleep. And I remember one night saying to my mother, 
Mommy, do I need to be saved if I want to get to heaven? And she said, son, that's exactly what it means. And from that moment, I never had one little bit of doubt that if I wanted to get to heaven, I needed to be saved. I didn't do anything about it, but I remember so clearly that I needed to be saved if I wanted to get to heaven. Well, life went on, and I went into my teenage years. There was a little mission hall in the country area where we lived, and that was basically our spiritual home. We were Presbyterians. We went to the Presbyterian Sunday school on a Sunday morning, went to the morning service. But then the mission hall was the place where we heard the gospel. And in our teenage years, we filled several of the seats at the back of that hall Sunday night after Sunday night, not because we wanted to be there. We didn't. But we went there out of respect for our parents who wanted us to attend the mission hall. And there, Sunday night after Sunday night, I heard some of the best preaching that anybody could ever listen to. Most of them laymen. And they could preach the word of God and preach the gospel. And there were no ifs and buts about it. They didn't leave you questioning anything about their message. They preached Christ and him crucified and the need of being born again of the Spirit of God. I can well remember one Sunday night sitting in that little mission hall. There were a crowd of us. We were sitting in the back seats. We were all teenagers. And the preacher that night happened to be a congregational minister. And I remember he preached on this text that I read a moment or two ago. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. I couldn't tell you tonight a thing he said. But when he came to the end of that meeting, he made an appeal. He said, are there, are there any people in this meeting tonight and you would like to come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you please raise your hand? That little hall was packed. And I heard him say three times, God bless you, young man. God bless you, young man. God bless you, young man. And I opened my eyes and I looked up along the seat where I was sitting. And there were three young men that I'd come to that meeting with. And they were weeping like children. They were coming to Christ. And that night, those three young men trusted Christ as Savior. Friend, I have to say to you, that was the first time in my life when I knew what conviction of sin was. I knew conviction of sin, and that conviction of sin never left me. I went on, friend, for a few months, and I tell you, I went through horrendous time of deep conviction of sin. I couldn't sleep, I couldn't eat, I could hardly work. I was working with a young brother and fellow, and he wasn't a singer, but he kept going over a line of a hymn and be shut out of heaven for not loving God. Shut out of heaven for not loving God. Shut out of heaven for not loving God. And many time I felt I could scalp him. It was so annoying to me. But I was under conviction of sin. And I want to say this tonight, friend. I don't believe anyone can be truly born again of the Spirit of God without that sense of sin and conviction. And it's one of the great losses of our present time. No real conviction. We come to Christ and there's no cost involved. But that night I was under conviction of sin. 
Now, as I say, I went on. I remember after the meeting was over, there was a tent mission being held in a, a place, and it wasn't due to start for a while because the meeting in the little mission hall was early and on a Sunday evening. And I remember riding the bicycle to that tent. There was nobody about. And I remember going in, lifting the canvas and crawling in underneath it and getting down on my knees and praying that God would save me. But oh, I could see nothing. I could feel nothing. It was just all darkness and night. After the meeting was over, I stayed for the tent mission meeting. After the meeting was over, I rode home. And we lived, as I said, with my grandparents. And my grandmother had a big Bible. And she used to read it at the end of the table. And she placed it on top of an old radio that sat in the corner. And that night I lifted down that Bible and I tried to read it. But it was like reading a wordless book. I could see nothing in it. And I went to bed and I lay looking at the ceiling in the bedroom and I thought, Lord, if you were to come tonight, I'm lost. If you were to come tonight, I'm lost. If I were to die tonight, I'm lost. And that went on for a while. Couldn't eat, couldn't sleep, wasn't very good at work. Everything was troubling me. And then there came a Sunday, it was the month of August. A family near us were wanting to get away for the day. They wanted to go to the seaside and they asked me would I milk their cows. And I said I would. And I was walking along a little country road and one of the young men that got saved in that Sunday night that I mentioned came along on his bicycle. And he said to me, we're sharing in a meeting in the Protestant Hall in Balamina tonight. Will you come along? And friend, I was under conviction, but I told him in no uncertain terms that I wouldn't be there. I didn't want him to know that I was convicted. And I told him I wouldn't be there. Anyhow, he, he, he rode on and I went to the farm and I started milking the cows. And you know, every time I changed a milker in that milking place, uh, God seemed to say to me, you go to that meeting tonight. You go to that meeting tonight. You go to that meeting tonight. I couldn't get away from it. And after I had the milking all done and cleared things up, I went home and I got my brother Desmond. And I said, Desmond, would you come to a meeting with me tonight? Now, Desmond was gone godly. He wasn't saved. And Desmond got his mate, and the three of us went to that gospel meeting in Balamina. It was an after-church kind of meeting. There was good music at it, and the singing was great. And the young man that was preaching that night was a young man from that mission hall. And he, I had played football with him and against him sometimes. And he was a preacher. And I sat in the back seat of that meeting that night in Balamina, and I heard this young man preach. He was a young convert, but he was beginning to preach. I don't remember much he said, but he quoted this verse of Scripture, 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 5, verse 2. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. I'd heard it just a week or two before, a month or two before, and here it is again. And you know, folks, I have to say to you tonight, I shook, shook, literally shook in that meeting. I was embarrassed. The seat I was sitting on was going up and down. I was under horrendous conviction of sin. And I am convinced to this very day, 
If I hadn't done something about it that night, I was still a being unconverted and far from God. But that night at the end of the service, he said, if there's anybody in the meeting and you'd like to come to Christ, will you wait behind? I said to my brother and the fellow that was with him, I said, you folks go on. I'm, I'm staying behind. Stay behind. He wasn't the preacher, but there was a, a big man that I knew. He went to the little mission hall at that I attended on a Sunday night, and he came to me and he said, do you want to get saved? I said, I do. I still remember he got me down on my knees at the front seat in that place. He took out his Bible and he went through Scripture and he showed me the way of salvation. He didn't need to do it, folks. I knew it. And I don't even remember the Scripture he showed me. He said, would you like to ask Christ to be your Savior? I didn't know how to do it. I hadn't been a prayer but I remember a little chorus we used to sing in the Sunday school in that little mission hall. Into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today, come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. There's room in my heart for thee. And I made that my prayer that night. I prayed it sincerely. I was sick of the way I was going. I was tired of conviction. I was weary. It was the most miserable experience I'd ever gone through. Something had to happen. And that night, friend, I trusted Christ as simply as I knew how. Now, I was riding a bicycle in those days. I'd, there were very few cars, and we didn't have money to buy them. Even we had, could have done so. And those were the days when you could throw a bike outside of Paul and Balamina, and it would still be there when you came out. You couldn't do that today. But the, the bike was there, and I, I told my brother to go on. And I often say when I came out of that meeting and started to ride that bike home, it seemed as if there were no chain on it. Just everything was changed. My whole world was changed. I was changed. And you know, God had wrought a work of saving grace in this life of mine. And I want to say this to you folks. I don't know whether it's just peculiar to me. But from the moment I was saved, I wanted to pray. And I wanted to be at prayer meetings. Somehow or other, that's where I wanted to be, at prayer meetings. I wouldn't have missed a prayer meeting for anything. And in that little mission hall, there was a prayer meeting on a Sunday at 8 o'clock. There was a prayer meeting on a Tuesday night at 8 o'clock. It was a faith mission prayer union. On the Thursday night, there was another prayer meeting at 8 o'clock. On a Saturday night, I went into Balamina to a prayer meeting there. And after the prayer meeting, we went out to the open air and preached in the open air. And those days, Balamina streets were thronging with people. It's like a ghost town at night now. And you know, those were the things that got me involved. But you know, there was a Presbyterian minister came to the town of Ahokal, the village of Ahokal came to Trinity Presbyterian Church. His name was William Fleming. And he was like a breath of fresh air. I, I, I hope I'm not saying too much here, but I don't, think, I don't think there was another evangelical minister in that whole area at that time. He was new, and he was holding missions in Orange Halls, and, and then he started all-night prayer meetings. And I remember getting the bicycle out on a Friday night, and cycling to Ahokal, to the Trinity Presbyterian Church, to the church hall for nine o'clock. And there was a group of people, I don't know how many, probably a hundred people. And they were praying. 
Most of them could have been my grandfather. Some of them could probably have been older than that. But boy, did they pray. Some of them were converts from the W.P. Nicholson's days. And I tell you, they knew how to lay hold on God. They knew how to touch God. And those meetings were powerful and mighty. And I remember coming out of those prayer meetings five and six o'clock on a Saturday morning, going home, starting to milk cows, feed pigs, never went to bed, and back into Bellamina on a Saturday night to pray and to go to the open air. And that went on and on and on. But you know, folks, there came a time when I felt the call of God in my life. And I, it's still hateful to see so many young folk. Young folk, do you, are you seeking God's will for your life? Or are you wasting your life? There's an American preacher called John Piper, and he's written a book, Don't Waste Your Life. And in that book, he tells a story of a couple who, are, who managed to get retirement in their 50s. And they moved to Florida. And they're living in Florida. They have a, a lovely boat. And they spend their time cruising on their boat. And then they, all, they play softball. And one of their hobbies is collecting shells. John Piper says in that book, imagine going to God at the end of life, standing before him and saying, Lord, here's my shells. And he says, don't waste your life. Young folk, you can waste your life tonight by not being open to the will of God. And I want to tell you, friend, there's nothing wrong with the will of God. The will of God is good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. And I can live to tell you that that is an absolute fact. I felt God's call. I was uneasy. I had a good career. I had a whole lot of things that I was planning to do. I had a friendship that had to go to. And God was calling me. And I felt God was calling me to Brazil. That's where I wanted to go as a missionary. And God was calling me. And I was open to that. But I remember one night going, going before God into my bedroom and saying, Lord, this is fine. But you know, I don't feel the way I should. And I got down before God that night. And I said, Lord, I don't know, but there's something in this life of mine that isn't right, will you show me? And that night alone in that bedroom, God said to me, you know what's wrong with your life? I haven't got all of it. I haven't got all of it. And folks, that night in that bedroom, I can only describe it in the words of a poem. One by one, he took them from me, all the things I valued most. Until I was empty-handed, every glittering toy was lost. And I walked in pathways, grieving in my rags and poverty, till I heard a voice inviting lift those empty hands to me. And I turned those hands towards heaven, and he filled them from a store of divine transcendent riches, till these hands could hold no more. Then at last I comprehended with my little mind and soul that God could not pour his riches into hands already full. And that night in that bedroom, I said, God, I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything you want me, 
I'll go anywhere for God. I should have said that on a Sunday afternoon when I was uh, living in that area and there was a gospel meeting in the mission hall every Sunday night, uh, I would go around the doors and I would go from home to home inviting people to come. And you know, there's an old saying, there's no use in going across the sea if you can't go across the street. And I don't know what you're doing for God, young people. As I say, it's a delightful thing to see you here. And I have been blessed in every church that I've ministered in to have young people, sometimes more young people than older folk. And I love young folk, but I hate to see them missing God's will and God's best. And of course, I went off to the Faith Mission Bible College in Edinburgh. And I was there at the time when Duncan Campbell was the principal. And you know, for those years, I practically lived with that man. Sometimes when he was away preaching on a Sunday night or Saturday night or some night, he would say to me, would you drive me? And I had the privilege of driving that man from meeting to meeting and just sharing his fellowship and quizzing him. And what a benediction it was. I listened to him every Friday morning preaching in that prayer meeting time. And those days were really, really precious really precious. I met Mabel, my wife. I'm not going to tell you how that happened, but uh, I met her eventually. And uh, I want to say this to you young folk. You know, when you're moving in God's will, you don't have to chase after girls or boyfriends. God brings them along. And I found that. I wasn't looking for a girlfriend. I wasn't looking for a future wife. Really wasn't. I was so busy in the Lord's work. But then, just in God's providence and God's grace, Mabel and I met up. I often say she was looking after uh, underprivileged children when she met me. I wasn't one of the underprivileged children, by the way. She was at Queen's University at the time, and uh, she was looking after these children in Portrush in the, in the summertime. And I was leading a, the beach mission there. And uh, we met up. I wasn't looking for something like that. No, no. But you know, when you're moving with God, God provides everything you need. And some of you are maybe biting the, the nails of your fingers tonight, worrying about where you're going to get a boyfriend, a girlfriend, wanting marriage. and wanting, Friend, God will look after that if you give him everything you've got. If you answer his call, he'll look after that. Well, in those days in the faith mission, if you were going to get married, you had to leave the mission. It was not a mission for married people. It was a mission for single folk. And the circumstances of that time didn't facilitate that. And I knew that if we were going to get married, I would have to find something else. But I want to tell you this, friend. I wasn't over, over, over concerned about that. I knew God would meet me. I knew God would do something for me at that time. I was at Bangor Convention, <coughs> and I had no plans to go into the ministry, by the way. <coughs> I was at Bangor Convention, and uh, a phone call came through to looking for me. And I went to answer the phone call, and I heard this Scottish voice at the end of it saying, I'm so-and-so. His name, the minister's name was Charles Campbell. He said, I'm the Reverend Charles Campbell. He said, I have a good Friday service tonight in my church, and I've taken a very serious eye infection, and I'm wondering if you could come and preach at the good Friday service in the church. 
And I said I would. And it was a big church in those days. It was a church that probably got about 600 people on a Sunday. And uh, I remember going there. And when I got to the church, I discovered it was more than just a local congregation. It was a number of churches in the whole of East Belfast that got together for this Good Friday service. And I preached at it. And this is how God works people. You don't have to be going trying to even open doors or push doors. God will open them for you. And I went to preach at that service. And after it was over, a man came up to me, a lovely man. He was an estate agent, but one of the most gracious men I've ever known. And he said this to me. He said, we have a vacant church. Wonder would you come some Sunday and preach for us? And I went one Sunday and preached in it. And he said, would you come back some other Sunday? I said, sure, I'll come back some other Sunday. And I went back another Sunday later on and preached in it. And then they asked me this question, would you ever consider becoming the minister of this church? And you know, I was wondering what God had for me thinking about marriage. But I didn't have to wonder. God had all in the middle of East Belfast. And I went to that church. It had a lot to be desired. But I thank God, and maybe my wife's here tonight and she can tell you of the blessing, oh, the blessing we experienced in that place. Hardly any congregation. More people in the choir on Sunday morning than you had in the audience. But God came. I remember getting the the deacons of the church together and saying, look, men, if we're ever to see anything accomplished in this place, we need to pray. And we started praying at 10 o'clock on a Friday night. We used to pray through to about three in the morning. And others in the city of Belfast got to know about this prayer meeting because there weren't very many. And folk would come from east and west and different parts of the city to that prayer meeting. We had some great times. And you know, God began to work and that little church that was empty was overflowing very before very long. See, God answers prayer, friend. I never intended being there. I didn't even know where the place was. But God said to me, that's where, that's where you go. And he opened the door. Well, I spent nine years in that place and we thank God sincerely for those days in that church. And then... I moved to Abbot's Cross. Some of you have heard of that. Sammy Workman was the minister there, and they asked me what I consider coming. I should say to you this, and this is not bragging, by the way. At, at that time, there were three different churches asked me what I considered becoming their minister. And I went to Bangor Convention on the Easter Monday, I think it was, and one of the preachers that year was Alan Redpath. And Alan Redpath made a statement, and he said, you know, when the devil's leading you, Every door opens, but when God's leading you, every door closes but one. And you know, I was in a position where every door closed but one. And I went to Abbas Cross. Friend, I can only say to God be the glory for what he did. I wanted to be a missionary. I had planned to go to Brazil, 
with the Acre Gospel Mission. That was my heart's desire. But for some reason, God never opened that door. And I used to wonder why. Why, God, did you not open that door for me to do that? Well, I think one of the things was I probably couldn't have learned the language because I never was very good at languages. But you know, when during the years I was at Abbas Cross, it began to dawn on me why God never opened the door to Brazil. At one occasion in my ministry in Abbas Cross, we had 42 young people on the mission field. 42 young folk from that one single church. I was preaching at the Isle of Wight Kesey Convention with a man who wrote a book on sending churches. And I said to him, you know, you missed our church out. And uh, 42 young people. I remember one particular night, uh, we farewelled 14 of them going away on the one night. And then it began to dawn on me why God somehow or other shut the door to me for Brazil. God used me to send others. God used me to put it in the hearts of others to answer the call of God and and go forth in his name. But you know the thrilling thing, folks? I've been to more mission fields. I never would have been there had I gone to Brazil. And I've had the privilege of ministering in mission fields all over the the whole continents of this world. And it has been so thrilling and so blessed. You know, God is good, young folk. I tell you, my heart feels for you tonight. Don't miss God's will. It's good, acceptable, and perfect. Don't miss it for anything. Even it means giving up a friendship. It's worth it. I can tell you it's worth it. And God will give you far better if you do as well. I was asked at one occasion to leave that church and go elsewhere. And I was asked to go to this little church out in the sticks. And it was a place where none came in and none came out. And it was there, largely old people. But when I went to it for the first while, I, I buried a generation. I just seemed to be conducting funeral after funeral after funeral. And the church was just a, a, a bundle of old folks. I remember standing in the vestibule one Sunday morning and Mabel was standing by my side. We were shaking hands with the people as they went out of church. And I turned to Mabel and I said, you know, this is desperate. It's like preaching to blobs of flesh. It's like speaking to cardboard cutouts. And I said, if I can stay here for at least four years to save my face, I'll be away. It was so hard, so different. Abba's cross was buzzing. It was bounding, packed out every Sunday. The music was great. Sammy Campbell was the organist. You remember him? And the choir, oh, they were just, oh, the, 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 the vibrancy of the place was just something. But you know, God is a faithful God, folks. We started again praying, praying that God would come and God would move. And God did move. We began to see folks coming into the church until they were standing around the walls on a Sunday morning. We had to build a church that would seat 500 people to hold the folks that were coming. Now, what, what, how, did, how did that happen? Friend, God did it. God did it. God did it. Now, my years at Abbas Cross were years of great fruitfulness as far as souls coming to Christ was concerned. 
We saw souls almost every Sunday night. I would have been in the vestibule, or the vestry, rather, pointing souls to Christ. That wasn't the case in the other church that I went to. We saw tremendous numerical growth, but not as many souls. But we did see souls coming to Christ. And we saw a lot of young folk going into God's service as well. Well, some of you know, I eventually came up to help the church there at Danachi. And I enjoyed it immensely. Enjoyed it immensely. It was out in the country. Brought Mabel, my wife's a farmer's daughter, so I just stood at the both of us to get out where the fields were and the cattle were and so on. And I, we were there for six years, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And one of the joys I had was leading, I don't see him, but he's here somewhere, reading Adrian Kelso to the Lord. I never forget the night that Adrian came to the manse and tears flowing down his cheeks. He said, Mr. Shaw, I want to get saved. And you know, it's a great thing to be in the Lord's work. And you know, that's uh, basically my testimony. And I thank God for all he's done for me. And I'll never, ever uh, turn my back upon him because he's been such a faithful savior. I don't know how long I have to live, but one thing I do know is that I want to live it all for God. I have known so many of my colleagues who've come to retirement and they've fossilized, as I call it, just settle down, do nothing. And they settle down and they just uh, eke it out until they're taken away by death. I don't want that to happen, friend. I would love to be busy to the end. I know you don't have as much energy when you get to my age as you used to have, but what we can, we try to do for God. And you know, it's a great thing to follow him. I read to you tonight, and I'm watching the time. Uh, I read to you tonight from Romans chapter 1. And one of the great concerns I have today is a concern about the loss of the gospel. Friend, we're losing the gospel in many of our places of worship. may not be the case here, but it's the case in many places of worship. Somehow the gospel is blunted. Somehow the gospel is not real. The gospel, friend, is not preached in its purity and its entirety. Maybe my wife would play sometimes at funerals for some of the funeral undertakers, and I would, she would come home and I would say, well, how did the minister do? Oh, she said he got so near, so near, but didn't get there. And here's the Apostle Paul saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And just quickly, friend, I want to just make a comment or two about this. Dr. David Bock was for a number of years president of the great Harvard University in the United States. Now, I don't know anything about the man. I don't know whether he was a Christian or not. But he was giving his presidential address. And in that presidential address, he said this. He said, I am concerned about the morals and the ethics of our students. And I am concerned that the religious institutions of our land don't seem to be doing anything to instill good morals and good ethics in our young people. And I want to read you what he said. Religious institutions no longer seem to be able, as they once were, to impart basic values to the young. In these circumstances, universities, including Harvard, 
need to think hard about what we can do in the face of what many perceive as a widespread decline in ethical standards. And he went on to say that the university had to do something. And what he's basically saying is the churches are doing nothing. And one of the reasons, friend, we've lost the gospel. We've lost the gospel. There's a Presbyterian minister by the name of David Patterson, Kenneth Patterson. He was a a general practitioner. He was a medical doctor and went into the Presbyterian ministry. And I read an article by him recently. He was speaking at the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church on an issue, and he said that he said to the people, he says, folks, we need to reclaim the gospel. Here's what he said, and I'm reading, I'm reading it to you. Sorry, I, I thought I had it here. I haven't got it with me. Oh, yes, I have. He says the t- statistics are alarming, and we're burying our head in the sand. We need to rediscover the gospel. Faithfully, bold, fearless, loving declaration of the whole counsel of God. And that's where we're at tonight. Now, why did Paul say he wasn't ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it was the power of God unto salvation? Let me give you a few reasons just quickly as I I close. The first one is this, friend. The origin of the gospel is divine. It's not man's gospel. It's not the gospel of any particular denomination. It's the gospel of Christ, the gospel of God, and in its origin it is divine. And because of that, it's a perfect gospel. Men and women, the gospel doesn't need uh, to be altered or changed around. I hear a lot of young ministers talking these days about trying to make the gospel relevant. The gospel doesn't need to be made relevant. The gospel is relevant. And the origin of the gospel is divine. And that's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed. And because of that, it's a perfect gospel. It suits every human being on the face of the earth. The gospel is so ideal. And it's a pure gospel. Friend, the only thing that makes the gospel impure is when human hands tinker with it. When human minds tinker with it. But the gospel is a pure gospel because it's divine in its origin. And the gospel is also a powerful gospel. Oh, thank God for the power of the gospel. And I want to tell you, friend, in all the years that I've been ministering, uh, whether it's been in faith mission work or whether it's been in the, the ministry of the churches for over 40 years, I want to tell you this. I've seen the power of the gospel at work. I've seen men and women lifted from the drags of sin. I've seen people, friend, that doctors sent to me that they could do nothing with. And God changed their lives and brought them out of darkness into God's marvelous light. And you know, this gospel, friend, is divine in its origin, and therefore it's a perfect gospel. It's a pure gospel. It's a powerful gospel. But you know, it's a protected gospel. I, I want to say to you tonight too, friend, that God will not allow this gospel to go into oblivion. It cost him too much. It cost him his son, and he will not allow that gospel to die. He will protect it. You know, in China, when the communists were sweeping into China in the 1950s, they were expelling the missionaries. They were killing some of them. 
and they were doing everything to hinder the gospel. And what's happened? Friend, the gospel's spreading like wildfire in China today. I had an, I have an article here just a cut out of a magazine recently. Christ Church is thriving in communist China. You see, the gospel is divine in its origin, and because it's divine in its origin, it's perfect, it's pure, it's powerful, and God will protect it. But the second reason Paul gives here, and I'm skipping over a lot of stuff here, for being unashamed of the gospel, not just because the gospel is divine in its origin, but friend, it's dynamic in its operation. Look what he says here. It is the power of God unto salvation. Dynamic. Oh, when the gospel is preached in all its fullness, folks, it's dynamic. You know, the gospel is not about the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. The gospel is not telling us how we can get the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. Let me mention one or two things here. Friend, in the gospel, in the power of the gospel, there is the dynamic of the Holy Spirit to reveal sin. The dynamic of the Holy Spirit to reveal sin. I mentioned in my testimony that little mission hall that I, I went to. I used to go to that little mission hall on a Sunday night. And some of those mighty preachers that preached in it and thundered out the gospel. You know, I thought that somebody had told them about me. Oh, the gospel was so powerfully demonstrated and preached that I felt somebody had told the preacher how I was living. And you see, there's the dynamic of the Holy Spirit to reveal sin. I don't know whether you come here regularly on a Sunday night or not, but if you sit under the gospel, oh, I tell you, the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit in the gospel will reveal sin, the ugliness of it. The ugliness of it. But the loss of the gospel in many places today is not revealing sin. I don't know whether you remember, but there was an Anglican minister in York for a lot of years. He would be a charismatic minister. David Watson was his name. He died as a fairly young man with cancer. And uh, he made this statement. He said, today's gospel is only designed to make the prodigal more comfortable in his pigsty. And that's about it. But friend, there is a dynamic of the Holy Spirit to reveal sin. That's the power of the gospel. And secondly, friend, there's the dynamic of Christ's blood to remove sin. That's all part of the gospel. The dynamic of Christ's blood to remove sin. Friend, never make little of the blood. Oh, thank God for the efficacy of the blood of Jesus. And in this gospel that Paul's unashamed of, there's the dynamic of the Holy Spirit to reveal sin, but there's a dynamic of Christ's blood to remove sin. Friend, there isn't a sin but the blood can take away. You know, the Apostle Paul was a great man for using the term, take away sin. And thank God for the precious blood that can remove sin. And I don't know who you are tonight, most of you, I don't have a clue who you're about. But I tell you this, friend. If you're low down, if sin has got a grip in your life, oh, thank God for the cleansing of the precious blood. It washes white as snow. It's hard sometimes to understand this and grasp this concept. 
but it's real. He breaks the power of cancel sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avails for me. And the third thing is this, friend. In this power of the gospel, there's not only the dynamic of the Holy Spirit to reveal sin and the dynamic of Christ's blood to remove sin, there's the dynamic of God's grace to resist sin. I remember before I became a Christian, I was going through the torments of conviction, as I've told you. And I remember sometimes I would walk outside our home where we lived in the country, and I would just dander along the little country road, and I would look up into the, the heavens, and I would say, Lord, if I became a Christian, how could I keep it? If I became a child of God, how could I keep this thing going on? How could I refrain from doing these things? You know, I didn't understand that in the gospel there is a dynamic of God's grace to enable us to resist sin. The dynamic of God's grace to resist sin. Maybe that's what's troubling you tonight. Maybe that's what's bothering you. Augustine was one of the great early leaders of the Christian church, and his parents sent him to Rome for his education. And while he was in Rome, he got involved in a lot of sensual, sexual living. He lived it up. Then Augustine was wonderfully converted. After his conversion, he had to go back to Rome for some reason, and he was walking through one of the streets in Rome, and this lady spotted him. She was one of the ladies that he associated with in those ungodly days. And she cried out to him, Augustine, Augustine, it is I, it is I. And Augustine shouted back, it's not I, it's not I. I live, but Christ lives in me. Oh, the power of the gospel to resist sin. The origin of the gospel is divine. The operation of the gospel is dynamic. And the third thing is this, and I'll leave it at this. I have one or two other things, but the outcome of the gospel is desirable. Notice what Paul says here. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Let me tell you, friend, there is nothing in this world tonight more wonderful than God's salvation. Oh, how wonderful to be saved. How wonderful to be pardoned and forgiven. Wonderful to be pardoned and forgiven. Our doorbell rang a few weeks ago, and we were just sitting at the tea table, actually, and I went to the door, and there were two lovely young fellows sitting there, <clears throat> and they had these aprons on them, and uh, they were trying to collect money for Alzheimer's. They were genuine guys. They had all their documentation and everything, and uh, lovely fellows, and I chatted to them for a while, and they handed me a little coaster, you know, and he says, one lad says, he says, that'll do you to set your beer on. And I said to him, listen, fella, I never tasted beer in my life. And he looked at me and he said, you mean you don't drink alcohol? No, I never needed to. He said, what sort of a life had you? I said, I had a wonderful life. I said, I gave my heart to Jesus Christ when I was a teenager, and I've lived for him and I've tried to do as well. He says, what did you work at? I said, I was a clergyman. He says, what's a clergyman? Hadn't a clue. They were up around the corner and I said to Mabel, I said, you know, I should have given those two fellas a copy of the New Testament. I had some New Testaments in the house and, and uh, when they were coming back down again, I called them over and I said, 
I'm going to give you one of each of those, provided you read it. I said, it's the New Testament. And those two lads, probably in their late 20s, early 30s, said, what's a New Testament? That's Ulster, folks. That's an Ulster. So-called Protestant Ulster. They didn't know what a clergyman was. I'm assuming both of them were Roman Catholics, but I don't know. And they didn't know what the New Testament was. Didn't know. And I told them, I said, you know, if you only knew God's salvation. And this is what Paul is speaking about here. Oh, the outcome of this gospel is desirable. God's salvation. There's salvation from sin's past. Oh, how wonderful, friend, of the past blotted out. There are people in this world tonight and they would give millions if their past could be blotted out. Not only salvation from sin's past, salvation from sin's power. Paul says that the sin shall not have dominion over you. Not have dominion over you. And you know, there's salvation from sin's very sin's penalty. There's no condemnation when we're in Christ Jesus. Friend, the wrath of God is a terrible thing. But thank God when you accept the gospel, the wrath of God that was her due upon the Lamb was laid. And by the shedding of the blood, his blood, the debt for us was paid. Now I'm skipping over a lot of things. I'm only giving you a, a few shots tonight. But this salvation that Paul is unashamed about, friend, is a salvation not only from sin's past and sin's power and sin's penalty. It's salvation from sin's very presence. That's hard for us to imagine, isn't it? We live in such a godless, sinful world. There's a day coming, friend, when we'll be in a place where sin cannot exist. You drive around the country these days, you see signs up in the post, smoke-free zone or or alcohol-free zone. Folks, there's a day coming when the child of God will be in a sin-free zone. No sin. A sin-free zone. Rejoice in glorious hope. Jesus the judge shall come and take his people up to their eternal home. We soon shall hear the, the archangel's voice, the trump of God shall sound rejoice. Henry Francis Light, who wrote that, Great hymn, Abide With Me. He says in that hymn, Hold thou the cross before my closing eyes, shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. Heaven's morning breaks and earth's vain shadows flee. And when that happens, folks, we'll be where sin is no more. Oh, what a blessed thing it is to be saved by the, by the grace of God and the gospel of God's grace. I came across this quote from a, a writer recently, and I want you to listen to it. He said, there will be no sin in heaven, for those who are in heaven will not have it in them to sin anymore. What a Savior, what a Redeemer, what a wonderful Lord we've got. Well, I'll leave that with you, friend. Paul is not ashamed of the gospel because it's divine in its origin. Divine in its origin. It's dynamic in its operation. It's desirable in its outcome. And of course, he gives us at the end of that text how we can come. It's by faith and faith alone that we come to Christ. Well, sorry for overshooting the time. I maybe kept some of you from getting...
getting home at the time you would like to get home, but I'm not often here, so maybe you'll forgive me tonight, and uh, we'll look to the Lord. Let's have a little prayer together. Father, we thank you again tonight for the gospel, and we pray in these days when we seem to be losing it gradually, that, Lord, you will stir it again and help, Lord, even those of us who preach to realize that we've got a message that's dynamic, that's powerful, that's desirable, a message that will work, a message that meets need, a message, Lord, that will deal with human sin, a message, Lord, that will provide us for eternity with Christ. And we pray that you'll bless what has been said rather gallopingly tonight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.